three, two, one. I am excited to talk about my favorite topic ever with you today, Gwen. All of the YouTube things are about to go down. You ready? Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. All right. Why YouTube? Look, so I am old enough that I started out my career in television. You know, I did not get out of college and be like, hey, this YouTube thing is going to be thing. Let's put it this way. I graduated college the year that YouTube was founded. So, you know, like a viral video in, in my day in college was someone would email you a literal URL and it would pop up and be like this big and it'd be like oh, up in the upper left hand corner. And it was like the Numa Numa guy. Right. Uh, so it wasn't exactly like this was like, geez, this is a good place to like this is where I could make money with my degree <laughs> is right. in online video. It wasn't even a. Uh, you know, a twinkle in the eye. So I started out on television, got very frustrated because television really has been for a very long time. Hey, it's very expensive. We batch shoot these seasons. And so, you know, by the time we get audience feedback, like we've shot the entire season anyway. So it it, it doesn't really, we, we can't really do anything about it. And our feedback is one thing, which is a Nielsen rating and maybe some, you know, like critic reviews, but it doesn't really tell you a lot about your audience or what they're liking. It was just this blunt instrument that was used to beat producers over the head and essentially, essentially cancel their shows. And it got very frustrating because of that, you weren't allowed to experiment. It was too expensive. It was too risky. So you kind of, fe uh, you know, filled out the cookie cutter that everyone else was filling out. And then when that inevitably stopped working, yeah, maybe tweaked it a little bit. And then you ran that into the ground until it didn't work anymore. It was literally the most boring thing in the world. So as soon as I saw that online video was starting to be something that was gaining traction and all my friends would be like, oh my God, I worked on a webisode. Remember when we called it webisodes? Yeah. And it's very embarrassing. I can't show my face in Hollywood again. I'm gonna have to hide this on my resume. I was like, oh geez, I should get over now and start working in this space where we can experiment. And then in five years, all my friends will be asking me for jobs. And that was exactly what happened. Well, that's nice. So tell us, what is your YouTube channel about? Okay, so I am uh, a corporate shill at the end of the day. I work on other people's channels. Uh, so not my own. Uh, I'm a I'm, I, I'm, I'm not the best YouTuber on camera. Let's put it that way. Uh, I have dabbled with like, you know, I encourage anyone who works in this space to spend some time like making your own content because it's going to uh, change your perspective and make you understand the entire process. But at the end of the day, my passion is working on other creative stuff. I, 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 am, I specialize in kind of the, the analytic kind of strategy side. And all I want to do all day is be in people's data and finding these patterns of things of things that work for them. So I've worked for a lot of different companies over the years from large digital media companies to small digital media companies, worked with a bunch of creators through those companies. So right now I work for Hearst, which is, you know, 150 year old publishing company, you know, does magazines, Cosmo, 17, Good Housekeeping, Esquire, Men's Health, like the range of topics. So I have a wonderful large portfolio that I can I can use to find trends that are not just on the channel level, but a little bit more on the like lifestyle spectrum level. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 been really great. There's it's it's nice to have a meaty chunk of data to be able to, to look at. Okay, so since you were not really a creator, you're a helper of other creators. Walk us through what this looks like. So 
when you got started, like who were like who was like the first person you got to work with and create with, and how did you what did you learn through that, and how have you helped them? Right, right. So my first foray into really the digital space uh, came at Discovery Communications. Uh, so this was this was way back in the day. It was about the time when the, all the media companies were like, "Gee, maybe we should start experimenting over here to kind of hedge our bets," but we don't really like you because we think you're out to destroy us. So it was a very interesting time to be kind of playing. And at that point, you know, we had a, you know, there was a, a lot of different discovery channels. We bought a company called Revision 3 that came in with a bunch of different uh, uh, channels. We uh, we bought Phil DeFranco in that time period. So he was part of the family while I was there. And during that period was really just my learning phase. That was my, I was just like looking at all the, the data, doing a ton of competitive research about the space. And I really got my first chance to be like hands-on on like channel creation and content creation when I moved over to a company called Endemol Shine, which is a very large Hollywood production company. And they did a joint venture with Michelle Fawn. And we took her network, uh, her, her channel called Fawn, converted into a channel called Icon and created a ton of really great lifestyle content back in the day. Uh, and that was really my first chance to like not just be esoteric, like where I was kind of researching and like this is where. Where I actually got to use data to influence how a channel channel went. We also had uh, a uh, a kind of a, a network at that point of creators we worked with. Uh, one of my favorites is still very successful to this day. Her name is Natalie's Outlet. When we when she came to us, she had seven thousand subscribers, and by you know within like nine months, she was up to like several million. And now she's like she's I think she's got seven or eight million now since wow. then. But she was one of the great examples of how you could really some of just the the things that we now know in the industry are tried and true uh, kind of tricks. But she really capitalized on knowing how to kind of drift off similar creators and but really have her own voice. My other favorite example from that period was um, a, a, a creator who was at that point called Cloudy Apples. This is a Canadian creator and she was doing lifestyle stuff and she was decent at lifestyle stuff. Um, but and she wasn't terribly passionate about it. It was just like, that's if you were a female on YouTube in that period, that's kind of what you made, right? Uh, but then she started a, a gaming channel, which really blew up. And what I was really proud of was like, this was in the era where, okay, you had a mostly male gaming, you know, industry. Uh, if there were there, the couple of women who were in there were kind of just, you know, it was a very male focused audience still. Um, but she is one of the first examples I saw that really built a very strong female gaming audience. Like now I looked at her data the other day because I I stalk all my old, old, uh, you know, uh, people I, I, I spent, I worked on because I want to know how they're doing. And she's at like a 60 to 70% female audience on a gaming wow. channel. Right. You know, and that to me was like, that to me is how far the industry has come in the last 10 years, which is great. That's amazing. Okay. So walk us through what you do for channels. Like what is the work? What is the labor? What is it that you're doing to help these channels have success? Yeah. So, you know, look, I think one of the big challenges with YouTube, uh, both for regular creators and say these entertainment businesses who are new to the kind of digital space is 
there is so much overwhelming amounts of data from the entertainment, uh, 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 like executive uh, perspective, they went from one data point to thousands of data points. Mm -hmm. So even sophisticated business people look at a YouTube, the YouTube studio and are like, I don't know what to do with this. And creators is even more so it can be very intimidating. It can have a kind of a negative impact on a lot of the psyche of, of these creators. So sometimes I say more of a therapist than anything else, which is like, I'm going to help you understand your analytics and understand understand how it really is your audience speaking directly to you. Okay. Um, and it's something that can be help you. And it's not something there to hurt you, right? Uh, and I, I'm, I walk you through how to do that. I speak, you know, I come from a I come from a, a, you know, a television background and a creative background myself. Uh, my passion just happens to be kind of the data side of it. So I speak creator, like I speak creative. So I can really interpret like uh, into language that they understand. And what does that mean from a creative standpoint? Because it can be really easy in this industry a lot. There's a lot of data analysts, but they really, they don't really speak the language. They don't truly understand. They can say something is statistically significant, but if you know how this business works and you've worked in it long enough, you can be like, okay, great. Like, yes, yeah, so that's statistically significant, but that adds a thousand dollars to a, you know, the creation of a video and, like we're never going to earn that back in AdSense or ad deals. So it's, it's a no go. So I'm able to kind of bridge from the analytical to the actual practical execution and what it means to make, you know, what does it mean to make a better like story structure? What does it mean to use your data to understand like exactly the kind of the story arc, the emotional story arc is one of my big things I've been working with my, my creatives lately. The, crafting this emotional story arc, it's just like writing a film script. And it's very clearly there in the data that if you don't hit your, your kind of your beats at the right point, like you lose people along the way. So it's so interesting to see the data come full back around and kind of back up what we know, we've known for years about storytelling, but now we, we have the data to prove it that's just so cool that you make data-driven decisions so tell us how do we creators use data to create better content what do we need to look at what do we need to know because one of the things i find personally hard when creating content is i don't always know what to create like i'm really grateful mm -hmm. like for our title sponsor vidiq's tool where they have the daily ideas so using right. like the keywords that are working well and like finding associations and i get like 50 a day because of the plan that i have and i find that to be helpful to guide me through like hey i probably should make more facebook stuff versus like instagram and tiktok right. stuff like that kind of thing is helpful but uh i still want to make the data driven decision and understanding my data right. can be really confusing and hard so what do we look at in our analytics to know what content to create. Like walk us through mm, the process. Yes. And, and this gets very nuanced because literally most people just get overwhelmed and they just look at one thing, which is the overall views. And then get so myopic on the overall views that they start making the wrong decisions. And, and let me tell you why. Uh, because overall views mean absolutely nothing. I call them ephemeral views. Like you can have a video that has a ton of, of views, but actually is detrimental for the long-term growth of your channel. Yeah. How is this and why is this? So let me kind of explain. So uh, YouTube has a couple of new metrics, which I'm obsessed with because it gets to this exact point that I've been preaching for the last decade, which is like, there's a difference between a core audience and just the casual viewer who's never gonna come back. So now they split that out for us between returning viewers and new viewers. So you can see in real time as some of these things happen. So you can make a video 
that your core audience hates. Like the returning viewers are really low compared to your normal, but you'll get a ton of new viewers. Let me give you a real world example. I used to work with a, a small YouTuber who her kind of uh, core value prop was that I'm giving you, you know, social, I mean, you're a social media guru. I'm going to be telling you the tips that you need to succeed. At that point, it was mostly Instagram. And so she had, it was a solid core audience, but of course that's fairly niche. You're not going to be like the, you know, like you're, you're not going to be Mr. Beast off that. Right. And you, you kind of have to know that and aim at that, knowing the value of that niche audience. But she would once in a while just be like, oh, you know, she was also young. She was a Justin Bieber fan, which is, you know, as you did in that time period. Uh, and she would just uh, occasionally just randomly post a Justin Bieber reaction video. This video, these videos would get a ton of views. So she just kept making more being like, oh, this is bringing in a new audience. But is it a new audience that wants to stay and watch social media tips? Absolutely not. And the social media, uh, like, you know, like professional audience, like the create social media creator audience was not always into Justin Bieber. So when you looked at what it did to her channel over time, uh, you saw that she was like the new people coming in weren't staying around and watching more videos. So they were kind of, a, a, you know, just in and out. And then the core audience, the more of these Justin Bieber videos that came up, they were unsubscribing, they were leaving. So these videos were making her channel weaker over time. So it's very important that you don't look at overall views, split it out between the two, and then balance the two. Always make sure your primary is like, make sure the core audience is happy. There's yeah. going to be some videos you put up that are going to have that returning viewer really high and other ones not so much, like a Q&A. If I don't know who you are, am I going to watch a Q&A uh, about you? Absolutely not. But your core audience will. There is a place in your portfolio for that type of content. But I've also had channels come to me and be like, geez, I don't understand why I'm not growing. And I'm like, are you pulling any of the levers that you need for growth? And you look at like their, their upload schedule and you're like, you're not putting anything up that's bringing in new audiences. So concentrate your core audience, but make sure you have a healthy mix every month of things that your core audience still likes, but also brings in this new audience so you continue to grow. Okay, so how do we find what those are? Cause and and also what happens when it okay, this is a two-parter. So how do we know what those are? And what if we don't like what they are? <laughs> Okay, so let's start with how do you uh, find out what they are. So it's those two metrics. So it's that re that you can find in your audience tab in your YouTube studio. Uh, and it's called returning viewers. And then they give you a number called uniques. Okay. Uh, to get new viewers, you just take your uniques and you subtract out your returning viewers. So those are your kind of uh, uh, two numbers. Now, I've been poking YouTube fairly hard about giving you some context on those numbers. You know how they now have this lovely thing across a lot of their metrics, which is like how it kind of paces to the typical. Yeah. Um, they don't have that for returning viewers and new viewers yet. So what I encourage you to do is just keep yourself a little spreadsheet. And like for the first seven days of every video, you're going to pull what is the returning viewers at that seven day mark and what is the new viewers at that seven day mark. And from there, you're going to get like what your, you know, what your average or your median is. Like what is your typical like returning viewers? And then from then on, every time you have a new video going up, you can quick, you can, you can look, see how this is trending. Is this, you know, uh, in the top 50% is in this, is this in the bot bottom 50% of the videos I've put up in terms of does my audience like that. So if you see a video where, you know, typically we say like, if your returning audience is coming in at 20% less than they usually are, and it's probably not something that's a good audience match, and you're going to have some difficulty 
with, uh, you know, with your audience if you keep making those type of type of videos. So that's kind of how you identify kind of the categories of like, this is a super fan video or this is a new growth driver video. You can kind of separate them into the camps and make sure that every month you're, you're having enough of a mix to do everything. Now, what happens if you don't like the answers? So there's a couple things, things here. Uh, I always say when you start your channel, try to stay fairly true to yourself. Like don't be chasing after this. Like, look, the biggest danger to any YouTuber is burnout. A bar none. Like I've been doing, it's it's been great because, you know, in the first part of my career, like we had no idea what the kind of typical lifespan and life cycle of YouTuber was. It was the first time for everything, right? And I kept being like, geez, I really want to know how long these people are going to take before they flame out. And do they flame out before they become irrelevant? Which is more likely that they just keep churning until people don't care anymore or that they burn out and and, uh, and just leave the industry before that happens. Now that we've had enough time, I can tell you the majority flame out. So the majority just gets so like burdened by what they're creating and what they have kind of they've chased those views to the point that they're making content that they hate and they just flame out of the industry and they, they're not seen anymore. And that's a big thing you need to avoid. So I always say, do not chase those views, chase, chase your, uh, your passions. But what you have to, what you have to understand is you can't just yank an audience around as your passions change. You can't just be like, I've done a beauty channel. I've done a beauty channel. Now I'm sick of doing a beauty videos. And all of a sudden I'm going to be a, a, a comedy sketch channel and not, and wonder why everyone's like, ah, I didn't sign up for this. Right? So if you do want to say, start creating a new type of content, there's a couple of things you can do. If I always say one channel, one audience. So if you do think that there's a potential for this audience to like this content, just, you have to kind of ease them into it. Start introducing little tweaks that get yourself towards like, you know, don't suddenly make all your content this new thing, but maybe wrap it in a little bit and slowly over time, like get your audience used to it. Now, if it truly is like, for example, you've been doing a vintage showing channel and you're like, I'm just, I just really want to create WWE content. That's like my new passion. Start a freaking new channel. Uh, understand that there's going to be very small overlap between those two, probably not a big enough top of the funnel to create an a, a, to to uh, have a channel that would be viable. So just you have to understand how far you can push your audience and you have to do it slowly. You can't do it suddenly. So it's on you to make sure that you start making uh, changes in your content that are good for your mental health before you hit the point where you're just going to supernova in a spectacular way and, and cause damage to uh, your uh, your future business. I love that. Because I know for me, I, in fact, I did an episode about this a couple weeks ago where I was talking about like, I was, I, I thought I was attracting the wrong audience and I had hid, I had like made private like five of my top 10 best videos because they were tutorials about, because um, I talk about social media, so they're like how to use Facebook marketplace and right. things like that. And this was under the advice of like a really well-known YouTube educator and it like tanked my channel. Like there's no possible way that half of my views are coming from these videos because it wasn't like the data didn't show that it was. And I was just like, well, crap. So what I ended up having to do to fix it, and I'm, I'm seeing this slow build back um, as I remade those videos for an updated version for like 2022. And mm -hmm. I also have these other videos that have helped them doing shorts and things like that. And that like that part right. really sucked because I know I'm attracting the right people because I'm still having growth. I'm still having views. I'm still growing my email right. list and my email list continues to have great open rates. So I'm just like, 
you know, I made that wrong decision. How do we know if we're making the right decision? How do we know if the pivot's working? How do we know if like what we're suddenly known for and like we just remove it and then like everything tanks, like how do we deal with that? I, I mean, look, you know, one of the things you have to understand about digital is you cannot avoid failure. You shouldn't want to avoid failure because those kind of experiments are the things that uh, get to the things that are really successful in digital. Like, I, you know, I, you know, after so many years of doing this, have a pretty good instinct of like what's going to work and not going to work. But I, I, I still have times when I'm like, okay, like we put that up. I didn't think it was going to do well, but one of the producers believed in it. And look, it actually did really well. So you can't really beat yourself up a, a lot if you, you you try something and it doesn't work. You just have to be able to pivot quickly, you know, and see. And I'm always like, it's always directional stuff, right? You know, there is... You have to look at your your data really holistically on like where are the signals like sometimes like you know maybe the audience isn't quite sure about this pivot and they're like ah oh, but you're seeing that you're actually having a pretty good conversion rate on this and the people who do come th through maybe that retention on that video is pretty good like you see those glimmers you might be like okay I'm gonna give it another three videos and you just have to kind of keep checking in and slowly moving forward and see over time if those top level views will kind of catch up but if you try it if you try a couple episodes and you're looking at your data and your audiences say coming in at like 33% below normal and they're unsubscribing like crazy and this new audience isn't converting into uh, returning viewers or subscribers and you have like 58 seconds watch time on a 12 minute video and just everybody is hating on the comments. You're going to have this like swell of like, okay, like there is no glimmer here of this being something that if I try harder it's going to get better. And I, I what a lot of what a lot of creative creative struggle with is we get our babies, right? We're like we are just such, you know, like we're we spent such a long time creating X that we can we can let it drag on too long. So usually I like to say you can't make a decision off of one thing. Like a one thing, one 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 video, it could be a ton of different things that made that video not perform. Uh, and it might not just be like the topic you picked or the format. Maybe they didn't like the guest star, whatever. So I always have my I tell my producers, hey, let's give it like four episodes. You got four episodes. After four episodes, that's about the time in my experience over years of doing this. You've kind of got all the data that you're gonna need. Like I've never had. A, a, a series that has gotten to that four episode mark, I've looked at it and been like, no, this is not working for us. And then, you know, I've been overruled at times by people above me like, no, we need to continue. I, never once has that turned around after the four episode mark. It, it, but there has been things that episode one and two haven't had a lot of great indications, but then by four, it's good. But after four, like again, and this is not to say that after four, your audience should be like watching it at normal levels. But again, you should be seeing like, okay, they're starting to click a little bit more or like, look at that retention. It's heading in the right direction. Like, the momentum at four should be going up uh, from one instead of mm, tanking, right? Does that make sense? Like you're looking at a holistic view. You're looking for positive upward momentum that may not entirely be like the most popular video you've ever posted. And then knowing that if it's just like there are no good signs here, you have to be able to let your ego go and say this did not work. All right, like that seems like to be a lot to take in, especially because you're asking us not to like 
act like we don't care. You know, know everything about our YouTube and our audience. No, I think it's about right. being, I said, you do have to check your ego and you have to know, like, sometimes you just have to be humble and accept that you've done something wrong because it's an ongoing learning, learning lesson. I mean, you can just put YouTube in like that class of like so many other things that we've never learned how to do. Now, you know, while you probably need to know how to do your taxes and, and shop for insurance a little more than being on YouTube, like if you're here listening, you probably are like considering or actively making YouTube a part of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to experiment. It's okay to try, but you also have to like let the data help. You have to let your audience help. And you have to understand that you get to this point on YouTube where it's collaborative and it's mm -hmm. like it's a little bit of like, I kind of am, I feel like I'm steering this ship. Like I think I'm an evil dictator of my channel, but actually it's evolved into this level of democracy where it's like, I'm, I have ideas. People can hate them or love them and vote for them or not for them. And it becomes this whole thing. Right. Right. You look, your audience does not owe you their eyeballs. That's something that I feel like as, as YouTubers and YouTube creators, we can fall into a lot of the time where we feel like we're being cheated because the audience is refusing to watch our content. And at the end of the day, no, I, your audience gets to choose what they watch. Right. And, you know, look, if this truly is just a hobby for you, then it doesn't matter. Right. You know, like you do you. But if you want to make this into like you want to make a make money money off this like you want to eat like this is your main like source of income then yes it has to be a give and take with the audience like your audience your audience this channel I always see my channels as this is really an audience right and this is serving that audience again I can start another channel and find a different uh, audience if I really feel passionate about a different you know, segment. And there are ways where we build channels that are niche, that you, you can make good money without getting to like the level of one of the celebrity YouTubers. Like it's possible we can do that, but you have to know what your, what your goal is, how you're making money, how you're feeding yourself and be willing to check your ego out the door to make the decisions that allow you to do what you're passionate about long-term. 100% like just seem to like have a clap, I think, moment for that because that's just like needed. We needed that wake up call today. So, for those of us who are listening, we're on the journey, we're doing the things. What advice do you have for us to keep us going, keep us motivated, make the things happen? I would say that as long as you love your audience and love what you're doing, that you're you're going to be able to have a really long term career, uh, and let me give you a great example of this. So I I worked with Phil DeFranco back in the day, uh, and you know Phil DeFranco is one of those OG YouTubers, right? He sure. was there near the beginning, and he was he got famous before monetization was even a thing. In fact, he was about ready to quit YouTube because he's like, you know, this is fun and all, and I have this huge audience, but I need to eat, right? Um, and that was the point when YouTube like it like allowed him to monetize and that like changed the game for him and then look he got bought by a very large company which was an experience for him something that ended up imploding and he went back you know he went from a huge team like he built this huge team and then he contracted back into a, a, a smaller like operation so he's been all he's been at the top he's had these falls he's been through the roller coaster that is YouTube but the thing that I find that differentiates the YouTubers who are able to keep going and able to to make really good money long term again is checking that ego at the door what happens
happens with the, in the lifespan of a lot of these creators is you will hit a point when you are the biggest thing ever. Like you cannot stay on the peak forever and neither should you want to. Like the attention span of the world is fickle. Like you might be the most popular thing on YouTube, but typically what I found that lasts for maybe a year and then you're going to come back down. But here's the thing. You're still going to be higher than you were at any other point in your career, but it can be very hard ego-wise to feel like, yeah, but once I was here and now I'm like maybe slightly lower down, but you're making great money. You're doing good work. You have a great audience. You just have to be able to like see that for what it's worth of being like, my ego doesn't need continually larger and larger numbers. Like it's the audience that matters. I'm developing this relationship with this audience and I'm making content I love. And this is why I tell creators to pace themselves. Like, yeah, people ask me like, ah, should I be putting up three videos a week? I'm like, sure, it'll make you grow faster, but you'll probably flame out faster as well. So like, it's all about creating a lifestyle and the, the lifestyle that you want. And YouTube's working very hard these days to put make it so that it doesn't feel like the grind, where it doesn't feel like if I take a week off, I have to, you know, I, I'm going to have to start over, right? Like, think of this as a long-term play. Uh, I think most YouTubers, though they don't know it, are treating it like a pro sports career right now. They're flaming fast. They're buying, and then they're buying the house in Malibu and then flaming out after eight years and then being like, what do I do now? So if you can treat it as the long haul, treat yourself right, treat yourself with respect and treat your audience with respect between those two things. Like I always say, the algorithm, man, don't worry about it that much. Like at the end of the day, if you're serving your audience, that's all that YouTube wants. So you'll be ahead of the algorithm. Like you can figure out ways to game the algorithm. YouTube's going to change them pretty quickly, but their whole desire is to make a satisfied audience. So if your audience is satisfied, like YouTube is going to algorithm is going to catch up and reward that. So concentrate on you, concentrate on your audience. Those are the two things you need to do. And don't, don't stress about anything else. That's so much easier said than done because we stress yeah. so much about it because we want to see growth because to us, this is money. Like that's mm -hmm. what this is. Like, like my reason for being on YouTube is the cash flow. It is the money, money It is the green stuff that makes my life happen. And I've worked really hard towards it. Like I'm headed, I'm in my fourth year as a YouTuber and I use YouTube as a lead source for my agency. But right. it's just one of those things that's like, there are other ways to do it, other things that we need to try and do. And I think it's really important to make sure that we are doing that and focusing on like, it takes time. Remember the mail room. Remember that first J-O-B you had and what you thought was going to be your career or your future. Remember what that was like and, and come back to that because it, like you can't rush this. It does take time and it just... So many people do not want to have the patience for it. And look, one of the things I will say that's been a great development in recent years in this industry, which I full love and support, is the fact that you can make good money off of a, a pretty decently small to medium-sized dedicated audience. A couple ways you do this, like in the example of what you're doing, like from an agency standpoint, it's a lot better for you to have a more closely aligned audience to what you to what you're doing who would be likely more likely to convert over into being someone who might use your services than having a very large like audience of 13 to 17 year olds who are never gonna like purchase your 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 your, your uh your stuff now 
if you're a creator who's like, well, I'm just making, I'm making my money off of like brand deals. Well, uh, brands are getting really savvy these days. Like when I first started, they knew nothing. Now they're pretty smart and they're much more likely to now put their money into small to mid-size creators. And why is this? This is because their customer acquisition costs are so much lower with your audience. And that is because you have these big guys. You always have a certain level of like dedicated audience that if I say, I say buy, they're going to buy. Right. And for someone like Mr. Beast, that's, you know, maybe a half of a percent of his total audience. Well, the advertiser is paying for those total views. Right. So they have a lot, a lot of wasted money going after somebody who may never convert. But you, with say your audience of 300,000 subscribers or even 50 to 100,000, like a higher percentage of those are super fans and they'll convert. So you can have less conversions, but they're going to make a better customer acquisition cost. So they are going after people who are mid to small tier at this point. Yeah. And I mean, we talk to a lot of people in the podcast who are under 100,000 subscribers. Like for me, I'm days from hitting 30,000 subscribers. I've been working my butt off towards it for you know, for four years, because we all want the silver play button. We all do. Like, there's no denying that desire. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it still has a lot for me to get speaking gigs. It's a lot for me to teach. Like, I'm actually in the process of putting together a masterclass for a speaking series that I'm doing. You know, I, there's so much that goes with it that can come from it that's just beyond, like, my immediate need. You can make so much money and have so much more opportunities beyond AdSense. And that's why so many people just don't want to believe some days that there's so much more money to be made away from AdSense. It just requires a different kind of work at the And Correct. on the point of like advertisers and sponsors getting more savvy, I was actually, I'm in this, this group that was talking about it. And they're like, the person the the creator was complaining about how sponsors were just trying to like not pay them for work, but just give them free product. And then some of the sponsors got on and we're like, well, we don't know how good your audience is. It is so easy for you to buy an audience that might not work. So we have to kind of test it. We want to see how you do with the free product. So before we go into like a long-term relationship. And I thought that that was a really interesting perspective on it. Sort of that idea. It's like, you know, there is kind of no way to know how much money my audience is. Like, I'm really honest with you about my audience. I say, look, my audience is a slow burn. Like it takes a hot minute for them mm -hmm. to believe in something. If they're coming to my channel, I'm probably solving a very specific problem for them. And there, I don't have a really high return rate. However, I do have this email list. And once they get on the email list, that's like where the conversions can happen. Because right. my objective with my YouTube channel is to get them on my email list, not to make them hit subscribe, right? Because I have, I often have one chance to get them onto it. And so like, that's how you have it. And I know my audience, I know where they're spending time and what they're doing. And like, you know, so I have to show that proof. And that's why yes, into this weird age as creators where the numbers don't matter quite as much. It's what's the quality of those person? How much do they pay? How much do they buy? How much do they watch? And you kind of got to know that because that guy is right. It is so easy to buy a fake audience now. Right. You have to like fight that. And, and now, you know, a lot of, you know, I worked for an agency for a while and they, they now have technology that kind of susses that out. And at, and they were, you know, they were successfully creators were coming back and negotiating higher rates. Cause they're like, Hey, proofs in the data of my audience may be small, 
but they convert really, really well. So we had some what would be go-to channels that we would put on almost every campaign because they had such a great customer acquisition cost. And they were really small. Like these people, some of these had like 25,000 subscribers, but that audience would buy, buy, buy. So they were pushing rates that you might see from someone who's like, you know, three, four, five times their size. But again, it's because they had the data to back it up where there's been some other people who had, who were like, you went in and it was like, oh, they're not worth this money. And they only got one deal and didn't get any other deals because the proof was in like, they cost $20,000 and zero people converted. Like that advertiser is not going to come back. Yeah. And you want them to. And I think it's important to really understand that and correct that. You know, one of the things that I think is important to talk about, especially with email creators and, and, and as we build businesses is money. So my question to you is, as someone who doesn't really have a YouTube channel and doesn't focus on that, how are you making money? Well, look, you know, I make money because like I am a, essentially a knowledge worker, right? You know, I'm being paid for the knowledge I have accumulated over years and years of what works on YouTube, what doesn't work on YouTube and to help you grow your channel faster, right? So like I am on, I am on the payroll. I call myself an in-house consultant a lot of the times. Like I come in and I just hop between channels and, and, I, and I help you out. But that is how I'm making money is kind of you know, you know, profiting off just knowledge I've built up over a decade, right? Uh, I, in the future, I might go into consulting and then I would be doing the same thing, except I would be working across a portfolio of creators and, and businesses. And there is, you know, there is a robust, you know, kind of group of creators who do this where they're doing their own channel, but they're also like advising other people on, on growing their channel as well and how to make content for that, for those channels. And I love that. I think it's important for us to know what we're doing and how it, and how it's going for each other. Cause money is important. We need to talk about money way more than we do. That is. Yeah. And what I will say, if any of you are thinking of like parlaying your knowledge into the more say industry corporate space, know your worth. There is not, this is still a young industry. There's not a ton of people who do this. And at the end of the day, especially when you're talking about if you've got a little bit data, more data nerd brain, like there's not a lot of women who do that specific part of it. So when you're talking about, you know, like a company like Hearst or all these lifestyle companies that I've worked for over the past 10 years, they would prefer to have a woman helping them making content decisions for women's lifestyle content, you know, and there's not a lot of us. So there is a way to kind of parlay that into a, a really good paying career if you like content and you like data. And that's actually fairly hard. Like the really hardcore data people, a lot of them don't want to be creative. And a lot of the really creative people don't want to have anything to do with data. If you can merge the two, you can, you can make it into a, a very well paying job. I love it. All right. So do you think that there's room on YouTube for new creators? Oh, oh, absolutely. Look, this is the entertainment world. It's been this, you know, there's a lot of new things about YouTube, but in a lot of ways it acts just like television and radio and plays done for thousands of years, right? Which is that people always want fresh new stuff. So what you need to be doing is look, people also don't want something that's totally out of the box. So the magic is finding something that feels sort of familiar, but you're putting a fresh twist on it, right? What's your thing? What can you add? You should never feel that, hey, this, this space is too full. There's no room for me. Again, the life cycle of these creators is not forever. So, you know, you have your moment, you can find your moment and you will learn how to pivot. 
well, if you're going to survive, you're going to learn how to pivot to keep up with the changes in the space. But the zeitgeist changes all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you just need to be in the right place at the right time and make be concentrating on making the best content that you truly love because that comes through the screen. I love that. All right. Well, where can people follow and connect with you? Ooh, well... <laughs> Again, the corporate chill in me. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, which is just like anytime YouTube has a new feature come out, I do a lot of beta testing with them. So you'll hear about it first from me. Um, and I'm just sharing everything that's going on in the business uh, of YouTube and digital video. I'm also trying to get better at Twitter. So you can also find me on Twitter and hang out with me, but I'm terrible at it. And those are kind of the two main places that I kind of share the kind of the, blame, the brain splurge that comes out of what I'm thinking about kind of the data analytics and YouTube world at, at any given moment. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, your knowledge, your experience. I know that so much, have, so many of us have gotten a lot out of it, especially that whole Facebook analytics study thing. So remember you, Gwen, and everyone are listening are possibly amazing until next time. Peace.